Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, I'm sorry, for you, but rather giving thanks. Verse 5, for you know this, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your truth. And we ask that you would help us to be a people that would stand up straight and declare the truth. And not fear man, but fear you. We ask, God, that you would open our hearts and open our minds today. That as we look into your word, as we read your word, declare your word, that it would find entrance into our hearts and entrance into our minds. That your gospel would change us, would transform us, that it would save us. For only the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We thank you, Father for sending the Son. We thank you for the gospel that has come with Jesus. We thank you for that gospel. And we thank you that that gospel is for all men, all people, everywhere, without discrimination, without reservation. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we thank you for that promise, for that good news. In Jesus' name, amen. The gospel is good news. The good news is for all people everywhere without exception, without discrimination. Every human is created in the image of God. doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter how old, how young. It doesn't matter what our social status is. We are created in the image of God. This is why we should value human life, not just walking on the ground, but human life living in the womb. There are more humans murdered in the womb every day than there are murdered outside the womb. It's not even close. We are to value human life because God created every human in his image. The gospel is for all. Salvation is for all. For God so loved the world, all the world, every kind in the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The gospel must, must be preached, but more importantly, the gospel must be lived 
Preaching the gospel rightly implies living the gospel. We preach the gospel to all because the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all, but not all will accept the good news. Believe it or not, the good news is offensive to many. Many people misunderstand what the gospel means. The gospel is not that Jesus died so we can now live any way we want. The gospel is not that Jesus died so that we can believe whatever we want. The gospel is not that Jesus died so that all who want can make it into heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. That is a lie. You can't live any way you want. You can't believe anything you want. You don't make it into heaven just because you want to be there. Because you don't like the alternative. Jesus paid a price. The Bible says he bought you with his very own blood. And if you've been redeemed by the blood... You belong to Jesus. Your life is not yours any longer. That means you don't get to decide how you're going to live your life. You don't get to decide what you're going to believe. You don't get to decide those things. God owns you by the blood of Jesus. And he has defined those things in his word. Many people like to have, Paul calls it, having your ears tickled. False gospels tickle our ears and make Jesus into someone he is not. Many people choose to imagine the Jesus they want instead of actually learning who he really is from his word. And you will not know him any other way except through his word. And if they believe his word, that's a big if. Because a lot of people quote the Bible, but they don't actually believe the Bible. A lot of people quote the Bible, but they don't actually read the Bible. We may like to believe that sin is not a factor, or at least not the sins we love to practice. This is why we tend to create a Jesus in our own image, to justify our sin. The scripture does not allow us to do that. Scripture teaches us who God is. Scripture teaches us what sin is. Scripture teaches us how we are to live our lives before God. And with one another. Remember, to preach the gospel implies we live the gospel. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, tragedies. Do you hear me? If, if it is not the greatest tragedy of our modern culture, there is none more great. The genocide, the infanticide, that is abortion, would be the only thing greater, I do believe. And this is why we have the infanticide we call abortion. It is because of the issue, the tragedy, the plague of fatherlessness. Today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, you fathers. But did you know that one in three children live in homes without their biological father? I could give you a laundry list of statistics that prove it's not a question. There is no question about this. Fatherlessness is the root of most of our issues in our culture. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about whether a, 
dad is in the home, but I'm talking about whether a dad is present physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually in their children's life. It is what the Bible calls nurturing and training them up. Parents, train up a child in the way that they shall go and when they're old, they will not depart. That's what the scripture teaches us. To raise a child in the fear and nurture of the Lord. That's what that means. And if we don't raise our children, somebody is. Fathers, if you don't raise your children, someone is raising them, I promise you. The scripture commands fathers to raise their children, and for good reason. If you wonder what has happened to our culture, look no farther than fathers or the absence thereof. The scripture commands us to be imitators of God. This is what we just read. It's hard for a child to imitate his father in heaven when he or she has no father to look to on the earth. This is why the enemy seeks to destroy the family. And that's not a hidden agenda. You can read the belief statements of movements we are highlighting today. Black Lives Matter. Their belief statement is the destruction of the Western nuclear family because it is the root of all evil. And, and that's not the only one. This is not new. This has been going on for decades while the church has slept. All lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Brown lives matter. Red lives matter. Yellow lives matter. Whatever color you want to apply there, human life matters. And the only solution to the salvation of human life is Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no social justice movement. There is no political movement. There is no political party. There is no politician. There's no capital city. There's no chas. There's no ground we can occupy and turn it into whatever hell we think is going to save us. That's all it will be is a hell. That's all that awaits us apart from Jesus Christ is hell. On this earth or in eternity. That's the truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Without the family, as God designed it, our culture will crumble. It has happened all through history. We are not immune here in the United States of America. We are not immune to the consequences of rejecting what God has ordained. We are to live consistent with who God is and what God has ordained in his created order. Today, we're going to look at Paul's instructions to the church at Ephesus. And in these verses, we're going to look at the command, what it means to be imitators of God. Paul writes, be imitators of God as dear children. The word children implies a father. You cannot have a child without a father. God is the father we are to imitate. And when Paul addresses us as dear children, we understand that he is addressing the children of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We also understand from reading the whole letter, and you should always do that, you should read the whole letter. The book of Ephesians is, is actually a letter 
written to a church. Read the whole letter and get the big picture of what God is communicating to his children. When we read the whole letter, we understand that he is addressing earthly fathers, he's addressing husbands, he's addressing wives, he's addressing children and families. He's addressing the entirety of the church. He is instructing us how to live, how to love, how to raise our children, how to conduct ourselves in this life in a way that is consistent with God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. We are to be imitators of God. To be an imitator of God must include his holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I'm telling you, people don't want to hear this message today. People don't want to hear a message about holiness. They think it's not fun. It's true. The Bible says sin is fun. It's pleasurable for a season, but the end thereof is death. If we don't tell people that truth, and we're just interested in them having fun, we've bought into this lie in the church that if we can just, if we can just get our kids to have enough fun and get a few nuggets of truth, maybe it'll latch on, maybe it'll catch hold, and then God will save them. That's not what the Bible commands us to do. That's not what it means to make a disciple. That's not preaching the gospel. That's not helping someone. That's just making someone feel good about the lie they believe. And hoping against hope that somehow God will save them. No, God commands us to tell people the truth. God commands us to preach the gospel. God commands us to disciple one another and especially our children. God is holy, and we are to be holy. We cannot imitate God apart from holiness. We cannot live unholy lives practicing sin and unholiness and call ourselves holy while we conduct ourselves otherwise. Now, let me make this really clear right now. Being holy as God is holy doesn't mean we're perfect because if you think you can be perfect in this flesh, I'm going to tell you right now, you are mistaken. You are not perfect. You are not sinless. Jesus was the only perfect and sinless human that ever walked this earth. He is the only perfect and sinless human that ever will walk this earth. We are imperfect. We are sinful. We are flawed. We are all fallen, whatever flavor of sin you want to partake in, it doesn't matter. We need Jesus. And Jesus is the only way that we can be holy as God is holy. You don't make yourself holy. God makes you holy in Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Jesus, then you're not holy. But if you are in Jesus, even though you have flaws and spots and wrinkles, maybe big ones, I've got big ones. I'm not holy because I behave holy, act holy, think holy all the time. I'm only holy because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope any of us have of obeying 
what God commands us to do, and who God commands us to be. Be imitators of God and walk in love. You can't be an imitator of God without God's holiness, and you cannot be an imitator of God without his love. As Christ also has loved us and given, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. To walk in love as Christ also has loved us is to give ourselves as an offering to God. It is to lay down our life by taking up our cross. And when we take up our cross, we offer up ourselves. To God the same way Christ offered himself up. To walk in love means first that we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Jesus said this is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus declares of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, the words of Jesus, no one, not even one, comes to the Father apart from me. Jesus is not a way. He's not one of many ways. He's not a path. He is the only way, the only door, the only gate. You don't have to believe that. As an American, you have the right to believe whatever you want to believe, but it does not change the truth. You can believe what you want to believe, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus is the only way for you to be saved. The only way. You don't have to like that, but it's the truth. You notice that when Jesus speaks, he always speaks the truth. He says, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. There is no other. To walk in love as Christ also has loved us is to love according to his way, his truth, and his life. There is no other. Any and all other ways, any and all other truths are not. They are lies. They are false. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He is the only truth that can make us free. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. To withhold the truth as it is in Jesus would be the most unloving thing anyone could do. If Jesus is the truth and the only way to be free, to not tell men this truth would be supremely unloving. To walk in love is to speak the truth in love so that men can be free from sin and find true life in Christ. This is how we are commanded to walk as imitators of God, walking in truth and love as the truth is in Jesus. Paul contrasts in this letter, in these verses, he contrasts imitating God and walking in love with practicing sin. He contrasts it as light is contrasted with darkness. He points to sin as being contrary to all that God is. Ephesians 5 verses uh, 3 through 4. Paul goes on and he says, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not 
even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolishness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. The word fornication means all manner of sexual immorality. It is a general term for very specific types of sexual sin. Sexual sin the Bible warns us against. Fornication includes all manner of heterosexual sin and homosexual sin. Straight sin and gay sin. It's all sin. If it's sexual perversion, if it's against God's word, I don't care if it's gay or straight. It's sin and you need to repent of it. Plain and simple. And by the way, repent is what Jesus commanded that we do. It goes on to include with fornication all uncleanliness, which is also a reference to sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Paul is painting a very graphic picture of sexual perversion the readers of his day would clearly understand. He then includes this, or covetousness, which is a word that does not inherently or specifically have to do with sexual sin, but in the context that Paul uses it here, he is speaking of the intense craving and passionate, unbridled desire that will lead to such sexual sin. This is why he uses this word covetousness with fornication and all uncleanliness. Fornication, all uncleanliness, and covetousness inherently stand in opposition to the marriage relationship. Sex in and of itself is not sinful and don't ever think that it is. God created sex. God created sex for men and women to enjoy within the context of marriage. Man has turned sexual relations into something that is sinful, not God. God created sex for men and women to enjoy together in the context of marriage. Marriage is God's design for sexual enjoyment. Marriage is God's design, period. Man didn't create marriage. The county where you go get your marriage certificate didn't create marriage. The governor didn't create marriage. The president didn't create marriage. The Supreme Court didn't create marriage. And the Supreme Court cannot redefine marriage. God created marriage. God defines marriage. Period, end of subject. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care how mad you might get at me for saying this. I'm just telling you the truth. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you the truth. But I do love you. Even the people I can't see right now. Out there in virtual land, I love you. Which is why I'm telling you this truth. God, not man, created marriage. God created marriage between one man and one woman... This is what Jesus taught as God's original design. And don't think Jesus didn't teach it. He absolutely did. If we want to embrace Jesus, we must embrace all Jesus teaches and commands. If you don't want to embrace Jesus, that's fine. Don't embrace him. Don't believe in him. That's your right. But don't confess you believe in Jesus on one hand and then say Jesus said things he didn't say. Or Jesus taught things he didn't teach. Just because it justifies your sin. We can't do that. That in and of itself is sin. 
Let me read you the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Do you see that binary gender thing right there? Male and female. There's not 72 genders. There's not 172 genders. There's two genders, male and female. Guess who created them? God did. Thank you. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Those are the words of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 6. Don't get mad at me, get mad at Jesus. Just because all manner of sexual sin has become culturally acceptable today does not mean God accepts it. What God calls sin, we must be willing to call sin without fear. Men, it's Father's Day. Men, I'm talking to you. Cheating on your wife is a sin. Wives, cheating on your husband is a sin. Jesus said, not just physically, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You can flip that over to the other sex as well. Women, if you look at a man with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. It's sin. Young men, young women, premarital sex is a sin. Even if he or she says they love you. Aged men and women, extramarital sex is a sin. I'm trying to offend everybody equally here today. Straight sex, gay sex, any kind of sex called sinful in the scripture is just that. It is sin. Cultural acceptability of sin does not make it right. This is why the warning in the scripture is clear. Paul goes on to write, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. In other words, these sinful behaviors are to have no place among the saints, among the church of the Lord Jesus. The same goes for filthiness, foolish talking, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. But rather, we are to be offering up the giving of thanks from the fruit of our lips. Paul is literally saying to not let crap, dung, filthiness... And the like come out of your mouth. Yes, I just said that because that's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Don't let that come out of your mouth. Why? Because Jesus said it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but it's what comes out. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Such things should not come out of our mouths, but rather giving of thanks. Verses six, five, and, uh, five and six. For this you know, that no fornicator, 
No sexually immoral person, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul includes idolatry in this. I think it's very interesting. He's not changing the subject here. The subject is still sexual immorality. He's linking sexual immorality with idolatry. He's linking uncleanliness with sexual immorality and idolatry. He's linking these things together. The scripture commands us to present our body as an act of worship to God. Listen to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 6 verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Grace doesn't mean I have a license to go sin now. You don't need a license to sin. You're born into sin. You need grace to get you out of sin. You need grace to set you free from sin. You need grace so that you can present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. And then later in the same letter, Romans chapter 12, Paul writes these words, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to present our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness, as living sacrifices. That is our reasonable act of worship. Here in Romans, Paul equates presenting our bodies to God as an act of worship. That's what he means when he refers to it as your reasonable service. It's picturing the service of the priesthood in the temple. You presenting your body as an act of worship. What we present our bodies to is ultimately what we worship. And this is why Paul links sexual sin to idolatry in his letters to the churches. Much of the sexual sin Paul addressed literally took place as acts of worship in pagan temples. This is why Jesus reminds us that in the beginning God created the male and female. A man is to be joined to his wife and the two become one flesh before God. It is a picture of worship. This is the mystery Paul speaks of in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Later on in Ephesus chapter 5 verses 30 through 32. Paul writes, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ. In the church. God always intended for man and woman to find their fulfillment spiritually, emotionally, and physically within the marriage relationship. 
Marriage was created by God to give witness to Christ and the church. It pictures the intimate worship born out of love between Christ and his people. God ordained marriage even though God does not call all to be married. Being unmarried is not sinful. It's not a sin. God doesn't call everyone to be married. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, was not married. No shame in that. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament epistles, was called to live a life of singleness. What we need to understand about God's picture of marriage and what God ordained in marriage is that we sin when we seek fulfillment in those things God ordained to be experienced within the context of marriage. Namely, the sexual relationship exclusive to marriage between one man and one woman. Those who practice such things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Fornicators, unclean, covetous, idolaters have no place in the kingdom. This is why Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was talking to all people. Jesus is addressing all sin. We need to repent of all of our sin. We don't have the right to point our finger at one sin while we practice another. That is what the Bible calls being a hypocrite. People wrongly say all the time, we're not supposed to judge. Jesus didn't say don't judge. He said don't judge hypocritically. He said before you remove the speck from your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. In other words, take the log out of your eye so you can see to remove the speck out of your brother's. And the point is, if I'm participating in the same sin I'm accusing my brother of, I'm a hypocrite. Get my life right first. Fix myself first. Now, how do we fix ourselves first? We fall on the mercy of God because I'm not good enough to fix myself. I'm not capable of fixing myself. So what do I do? I cry out for the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He's my only hope. Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I need to tell my brother he's in sin. I confess my sin to you, God. I confess my need of you. I confess that I need your grace and your mercy in my life. Give me the grace to help my brother. That's exactly what the Bible commands us to do. The Bible says we don't have a right to judge the world. People who aren't in Christ, people who don't believe in Christ... It's not my place to judge them. It is my place to preach the gospel to them. It is my place to tell them the truth. What they do with it after that is completely up to them. You and I can't save anybody. We are just the messengers of salvation. This is the message of the gospel. Repent and believe. The good news is that repentance is available. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We need to tell people the truth. Otherwise, 
they're going to go to the judgment without someone having told them. And it's, and it's not that they didn't know, but if I know and I don't say anything different, then I'm guilty. Paul writes, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, the Bible is very clear. If we love the truth, we will speak the truth. If we love someone, we will not deceive them with empty words. This is what it means to love one another as Christ loves us. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If we truly love people, we will warn them of the wrath of God that comes upon the sons of disobedience. If we truly love people, we will tell them the truth even if they disagree. I can sit down and talk with anyone who disagrees with me. We can talk out our disagreements. We can talk out our differences in belief. That's not unloving. That is love. If I refuse to talk to someone willing to talk to me, that would be unloving. But disagreeing with someone or not having the same belief with someone doesn't mean I don't love them. It's not unloving to disagree. It's not unloving to have differences of beliefs or points of view. It is unloving to not tell the truth. If I believe the word of God to be the truth, and I absolutely do, it is unloving if I do not tell the truth. There is a way to speak the truth in an unloving way. There's no doubt about that. And we are not called to do that. We are commanded to speak the truth in love. The problem with the world today is they don't want to hear the truth. And if you speak the truth, they accuse you of hating. There's nothing you can do about that. We should never believe that disagreement or difference is automatically unloving. We should be willing to engage with all people, especially those who do not believe. We should welcome all people to hear the gospel. We should accept all people for who they are, where they are, and not withhold the love of God, the truth of God from them. To do so would be unloving. I don't know about you, but when God saved me, I was a sinner. We're not waiting for people to get their lives put back together and all cleaned up so we can accept them into church. That might be how some churches operate, but that's not how the church of the Lord Jesus operates. Any and all are welcome to the message of the gospel, to the salvation. Anyone that wants can walk through the doors of this church and I believe any other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. They should be able to walk through those doors, saint or sinner, hear the gospel, and respond accordingly, hopefully. And it should have nothing to do with what color your skin is. It should have nothing to do with how rich or how poor, how well you smell or not. It should have nothing to do with all of those things we like to point out and use to divide and to discriminate with. It should have nothing to do with any of those things. Because the only way God sees people is whether they are in Christ or not in Christ. Everything else is just externals. And you're not saved because of your external. You're saved because of the inward work of grace God does in your heart. 
And if he has truly done it, yes, it's going to work out to the outside. Just like you plant a fruit tree, it better produce some fruit. Or what's the point of it taking up oxygen? If you've been saved, eventually God wants the fruit of his spirit to come out of you. And that doesn't mean you're so nice and loving. You never tell people the truth. It means you actually love people well enough, deeply enough that you will tell them the truth. Because the truth is the only thing that will set them free. And if you don't do that, then you truly don't love people. The reason withholding the truth is unloving is because the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We were all once sons of disobedience. If you are no longer disobedience, it is only by God's grace. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, Paul writes. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do not be partakers with them. If we are in Christ, we've been delivered from, the, from sin and death. Now we are imitators of God. We are to partake of those things no longer. And if we believe God's word, then that means we are to walk as God walked in Jesus Christ. We are to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved. That means we're going to tell people the truth even if it offends them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are not to be partakers with them because that's not who you are any longer. You're not trying to work your way to heaven. You've been saved. That's not your nature anymore. So stop behaving like mere men. Now walk and be imitators of God. Walk in love as Jesus Christ did. God called us out of darkness and into his light. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, Jesus is a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Listen to the words of the apostle Peter. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they are also were appointed. The word goes out to all. All are responsible for the word of God. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Now we can walk as children of light. You could not before, but now by God's grace you can. Now by grace we can walk in the Spirit, making manifest the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is good news. Now you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now you can walk as children of light in the spirit of holiness. You have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have. Been given his mercy in Jesus Christ. That, that 
is good news. This is the message to all without any discrimination. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Trust in him and be saved. Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friends, that is good news. And I would encourage you to do just that. Obey God, repent, and believe the gospel. Call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And if you have already done that, then speak the truth in love. Be bold in your witness because there is a world full of people dying apart from Jesus and they have no hope apart from Jesus. Their quality of life, their happiness here on this earth means nothing the moment they step into that eternal realm without Jesus. If you truly love, if you truly love people the way many people today say they love, then tell them the truth because that is the only thing that will set them free. That is the only thing that will save them. Amen. Let's get ready and come to the table. We come to this table every week to recognize, to affirm what Christ has done for us, to partake in the covenant given to us by his body and by his blood. We accept children of the covenant at the table if parents so wish to allow them to come. If not, we respect that belief. And as you trust in Jesus, as you look to Jesus, as you know Jesus is your hope, parents, as you know God has commanded you to raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, teach them. Teach them what this body, what this blood has done for us in Jesus Christ in giving us hope and life eternal in setting us free from sin. Christian, come to the table. Come to Jesus. Let's all stand. Before I give you your charge, I just want to say how wonderful it is to have Tim and Jenna and their children, the Meister family, with us. I know Charlie and Joanne are very excited to have them a little closer, uh, actually a lot closer, <laughs> all the way from near Chicago uh, down to Texas. So we're excited to have you guys back here and are very honored to have you all here today. God is good, amen. The charge is very simple. If you have not trusted in Jesus, trust in him now and be saved. Call upon his name, he will not turn you away. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what defines your life or what has defined your life. If you call upon him, his blood, his sacrifice has the power to save you to the uttermost. If you have trusted in Jesus, walk in the truth as he is in the truth. Proclaim his truth in love and do not be ashamed of him. Jesus was not a coward. His followers should not be cowards either. He has given the Holy Spirit to be filled 
with power. He gave us his spirit that we would be filled with power to be witnesses to him in Taylor and the surrounding communities and even to the ends of the earth, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, in your family, outside your family, be a witness to him. Fear God, do not fear men. Jesus warns us, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Who were the false prophets? They were liars. They did not tell men the truth. When we stand up for the truth, especially in these days when the truth has been so maligned and so misrepresented, we can expect that many will reject us because they reject the truth. This is exactly what Jesus said. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. And if you love me, if you follow me, then they will reject you the same way they rejected me. Love is not silent. Love endures all things. God is love. Jesus laid down his life for sinners. Surely we can take up his cross and endure hardship and evil speaking to tell men the truth, the truth that is their only hope for salvation. If we love them, if we truly love people, this is what we will do. Live his gospel loud. Amen?